We are in the middle of this series called In Your Shoes, and it's a whole idea of how do we see through the perspective of other people, and we're just trying to have a conversation around it because we think this is an important conversation for us to have. So to catch you up just a little bit, last week we talked about Jesus and all the amazing things that he did, all the people he loved and healed, and then after three years of doing that, he sits down at the end of his life with his closest followers he does this crazy weird thing of washing their feet, as if to say, anytime you find yourself in authority, this is how you lead and this is how you serve. And then he breaks some bread and he pours some wine, which would represent his body that would be broken, his blood that would be shed for the forgiveness and the sins of the entire world. And in the middle of this amazing, what's known as the Last Supper, he looks at his closest friends and he says this to them, and it's recorded by his friend John. He said, a new command I give you, and not an add-on command, not an extra command, but a new command that every command would filter through. He said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this would be a very difficult thing for them to hear, but in that moment, his followers thought, well, you know what, Jesus, that's going to be tough, but we can do that. We can love sinful people because we've discovered we're sinful people. And we can love people that have leprosy because, you know, we're not going to put our hands on them and heal them, but, you know, we don't have to run away and be scared of them anymore. And we can love tax collectors because now Matthew's one of our friends, and if we love him, we can love his people group and everyone else we can show love to like you've shown love to. But they had no idea that in just a few hours, the level of love and where it would go as Jesus would give his life on the cross would be beyond anything that they can comprehend to the point where they might say, or be tempted to say, it's impossible to love the way you have loved us, Jesus, because you have gone to the nth degree. In fact, I think if I was to give this command through my perspective, I would say this, a new command I give you, love one another as they are lovable. So you must love one another. And that makes more sense for me. I'm going to love you as you are lovable to me. I'm going to love you when you're agreeable with what I agree with. I'm going to love you when you do what I want you to do. And then for everybody else that does that, I'm just going to avoid you. And my best shot at this is to love those that are easy to love and avoid everybody else. And I'll be as close to Jesus as I can. Except Jesus didn't go that direction. He said, love everybody the way I have loved you. And the reason I would go with the lovable idea is this, because there's those people in the world, isn't there? And those people are the group of people that are impossible or very difficult for me to love. And we all have them. For you, it might be the people that don't use their blinker at a stop sign. You have no idea that which way they're going. And you're like, they shouldn't even be able to drive. For me, I said last week, it's the people that talk during movies. It drives me crazy. Maybe it's the people at the campground that when quiet hours kick in at 10 or 11 o'clock, they're not quiet and you stay up all night and then they have wet wood and then they burn smoke all over you know, your campsite and in your tent or your camper or your super large RV, whatever it is. And you're like, there's those people I just can't stand. And then it gets more serious. There's those people on the other side of the political aisle. I mean, you just can't figure out why the Democrats are so dumb or why the Republicans are so stupid. How could anybody believe what they believe or what they believe? What are they thinking? Don't they know? I mean, they just must not know. They must not be smart. They must not know how the world works. And then we push them into those people categories. I mean, obviously in our world right now, those people are falling into race categories and there's so much frustration and anger and some of it's for good reasons, some of it's for other reasons, but we've turned it into those people. 
Maybe it's a generational line. Like old people, they just always act like this and they always think they know and they're always grumpy. Or those young people, they always want to change things and they just want to turn the music up too loud and they're always in the way and they just never you know, show respect. And it's just categories we put people in. And what a lot of us would say is, listen, those people, they see the world differently, which they do. And that's the problem that a lot of us have with other kinds of people. But the truth is, we wouldn't say differently. We probably would say wrongly. Those people just see the world wrongly. And you might say, hey, it's not on purpose. They were just born in a different place, a different time, under different parents than I was, and their parents got it wrong. So we're not even blaming them, but it's wrong. And it's not like we can spank them. I mean, maybe it would help to go spank them when they were six. We can't spank them, so we just kind of kind of put up with it. And so I'm just going to avoid those people. And then what happens is we try and avoid people that are different than us, that think differently. And maybe for you, it's think wrongly. They accidentally you know, move in next door, or you accidentally hire one of them, <laughs> or your daughter marries somebody that's in those people categories. And they move in, and it becomes messy, and then we're frustrated, and we're not sure how to bend or adjust or be flexible. And then we're like, listen, I may be like sinning, but I'm sinning because of those people. Their actions have caused me to do what I'm doing. And some of it you just can't avoid. And so what do you do? What do you do in light of this principle that I think most of us would agree with, that the quality of our lives is only as good as the quality of our relationships? And you know this if you're married. Your quality of your life is only as good as how happy your marriage is. If you're a parent, you know this. You're only as happy as your saddest child is. Just the way it goes. If you have family, if you have friends, if you have people you work with, your quality relationships dictates the quality of your life. Now, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to this, a lot of us go down this road of thinking, listen, relationships just require two people or three people, or maybe four, but really just two. It takes two to tangle. It takes two to have your relationships. It just takes two to connect. And we kind of fall into that thinking that a relationship is just between two people that actually know each other. And this where it comes into play when it comes to us Jesus followers. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you know, you just get to pay attention to what we're talking about. But as Jesus followers, this is where we lean into this new covenant loophole. And loopholes and workarounds are always dangerous when it comes to Jesus because that's not what he intended. And the loophole is you only have to love one another if you are around one another. In other words, okay, Jesus, I'll love them as you have loved me, but I'm just going to do it for the people that I'm around, which means this is just the people I like or just the people that think like me because those are the people I'm having a relationship with. And Jesus, you can love the other people and you can look after the other people, but I'm going to love the people I'm in a relationship with, the people that are close to me. But you know this and I know this, that relationships are way broader than just the people that are in our close proximity. And if you allow me just a little space to make a point, you know, we have a relationship with anything we relate to. For instance, now give me a little room on this. I have a deep love affair with peanut butter chip ice cream. I've told you that before. It is the best ice cream in the world, and someone has taken it out of all the stores in Van Wert, Ohio. And I'm very frustrated about that. So I need to find out who did that and throat kick him to or kick him in the throat, however that goes. Kick him in the throat. How's that sound? Yeah. Maybe you have a, a love relationship with your car. Maybe you have a deep relationship with your golf game. And you would say, listen, I can't have a relationship with my golf game, but you're so passionate about it. Doesn't it kind of feel like a relationship? 
For you, maybe it's a vacation spot, and you've never thought about this before, but when you think about that certain vacation spot that you've taken your kids to for years and years and years, or maybe it's the place that you and your dad went before your dad passed away. I mean, for you, it's got this deep emotional connection, and going there or thinking about it, I mean, it, it touches your soul, right? Maybe you would say, yeah, I have a relationship with a sports team. I have the relationship with the Cincinnati Bengals. It's an abusive relationship, but you have a relationship with them. Maybe you feel like you have a relationship with LeBron James, like me and LeBron, we're brothers, which means Michael Jordan's your daddy, just so you know. That's the funniest thing I've said in a month, and no one is in the building to hear it, so I hope you're laughing at home when you hear that. But the truth is, with all those things, we all have a relationship with those people in our lives. And this is why. Those people that you don't think you're connected to, those people that are over there in another part of the world, another part of town, maybe it's your ex-wife, maybe it's your brother that you haven't seen in forever, maybe it's your neighbors you won't talk to, those people are still part of your life, part of your soul, part of who you are because you run into them, whether it's on TV, on your news feed, or physically. And you may push back and say, no, they're over there. That's the bad drivers. That's the other political party. That's the other race. That's my ex-wife. But you know what? They still affect our lives. In other words, if if you've related to it, you have a relationship with it in some way, shape, or form. And the quality of your life is only as good as the quality of your relationships which means all relationships count. And I can't help you with peanut butter chip ice cream or your car, your golf game, or certainly the Cincinnati Bengals. But we can lean into something when it comes into relationships with people because the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, says something to some Christians in Rome that is so important and challenging that we're gonna talk about in the next few minutes. He writes to Christians in Rome where they were challenged by people all the time because they were being persecuted. So he's writing to Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago. At the same time, he's going around to different churches and cities and he's trying to raise money for the Christians in Jerusalem that were being persecuted for what they believed. And so you have these two people groups that Paul was working with and he knew that they were having difficulties loving people and being patient with people, and certainly being kind, because people wanted to kill them. And in that context, people would just like to get you off the face of the planet for what you believe. He writes this in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. All people that rejoice, not just your little people group, but all people that rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. And that's a bit challenging, because there's some people I don't want to rejoice with. I mean, I don't say this out loud, but I kind of want some people not to have something to rejoice over. And Paul goes, no, when you see somebody rejoicing, rejoice with them. And when you see someone's heart breaking, your heart should break a little bit too. It doesn't mean you have to bleed for every person in the whole world every time something terrible happens, but you should mourn when people mourn. You should have sympathy and, more importantly, empathy for them. And then he goes on, he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. In other words, you you know the people that are in a lower place than you are and you think you're up here? You should be willing to associate with them, even though they're different. They're those people. And for those of you that feel like you're in a lower position and you look up at the people that are higher position, you think they're rich and they're snobby and you never want to be around them, Paul would say, no, you associate with them too because they're all God's children. They're all created in God's image. And then he says, do not be conceited, which is the core of what he's saying. Don't be conceited. 
Be willing to be humble and lower yourself to love people the way Jesus loved you. And then he leans in hard and he says, do not repay any, anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, remember, this is in a day when people were being killed for following Jesus and jailed and robbed and beaten. And it was evil to do that. And Paul says, listen, don't repay evil for evil. And isn't that difficult? I mean, you see something, you read something, and you and I, we want to do something about it. And sometimes it's right to do something about it. But where our heart goes is, listen, you do something evil, I'm going to repay you with a little bit more evil. You put something out on social media that's a little bit nasty, a little bit rude. Listen, I'm coming with both barrels blazing, and I'm going to out-evil your evil. And Paul says, don't do that. Because if you're a Christian... You represent a God that loves you and loves them and loves everyone. You can speak up, you can have a voice, but don't go through the filter of evil in any way, shape, or form, which just a side note means if you want to respond to something, take your time, be quick to listen and slow to speak when it comes to responding to anyone to make sure it's not evil. But then the Apostle Paul says something that is over-the-top challenging. He runs through all those things, and we'd say, yeah, it makes sense. I hope my kids are paying attention. I hope I can do that. My wife hears that. But then he says this next thing, and he says, live at peace with everyone. To which we would say, Paul, that is absolutely impossible. I cannot live at peace with everyone. And if you're considering being a Christian, you may hear that today and go, listen, I'm not going to become a Christian if I have to live at peace with everyone because it's impossible. And maybe you're on the fence teetering about staying in your faith or hanging on or, you know, hanging around church. And you read this and go, there's no way. That's like pie in the sky, preacher talk, and I can't do that. It's just not possible. But hang on, because he gives us something else. See, this part of the verse is at the end of it. Let me read you what's at the very beginning of this verse. He says, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Doesn't that feel a little bit better? Because he knows, the Apostle Paul's smart, it's not possible to live at peace with everyone in our world. I mean, these um, Christians in Rome, they're being drugged out in the streets and having their heads cut off. And it's pretty hard to be at peace with someone when they're cutting your heads off, so that's difficult. But I think what he is implying is, listen, don't let it be dependent on them for peace. Let it be dependent upon you for peace. It's not if they change live at peace, He says, if it's possible with you, in fact, look what goes right in the middle of the sentence. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone, which means we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to say, all right, is it possible? Can I get there? Or am I just going to take the easy road out that they're not like me and they don't think like me and they're wrong in the way they think and see the world? Paul would say, no, because remember what your heavenly father did for you. When Jesus landed on this planet and he looked at you and he made it possible, all dependent on him. This is what the Apostle Paul, I think, is saying. Do what you can do as far as it depends on you. So the question we're going to ask is, so what depends on you? What depends on me? What depends on me as far as living at peace with people through the filter of this new commandment, this New Testament ethic to love like Jesus loves people? Your brother and your ex-wife and your neighbor that drives you crazy and the people on TV that has a whole different viewpoint than you. 
the other race, the other political party, the older gender, whatever it is that gets under your skin, what do we need to do? And I thought I would talk about just a few things that I think can be a roadblock to living in peace with people that I, cha- I struggle with. It's a challenge for me. It's probably a challenge for you. It's these things. It's our own ego. It's our own pride and desires and prejudice. They should never get in the way of living peaceably with others because these things affect us all, our ego, our pride, our desires, and our prejudice. Let's just talk about our ego for a minute. Doesn't that get in the way of peace when it comes to other people? Full disclosure, sometimes it feels good to look down on somebody. Because if I'm looking down, I feel like they're looking up and I just feel better about myself. But that never brings peace. What that means is I'm here just to be right and they're just going to be wrong. The challenge for me in my life is if I want to live that way, which I can fall into that easily, is I surround people that support my ego, support my viewpoint, support what I want to be blown up to be in my life. And it does not resemble our Savior. When we think about this idea of pride, pride is I'm just unwilling to understand. I'm unwilling to bend in your direction. I have to be right for right's sake. At all costs, I have to be right, which means I'm probably not going to forgive. I'm probably not going to say I'm sorry. I'm probably not going to say I'm wrong. Now listen, when it comes to your viewpoint of the world or your your worldview, if you can't ever say you're wrong, that probably needs to be adjusted a little bit. And it's the opposite of Jesus who came in humility. You know, we're told that Jesus came and he humbled himself to the place of a human being, the place of a servant for you and I. And what Jesus does in his humility is he leans into our world and he's willing to take on all the mess and all the crud for you and me. And humility is a path towards peace, whether it's on a big worldview or a relational view with your, your family. But pride, that's dangerous. And then we get to this idea of desires Now, this may not be true for everybody that's paying attention this morning, but for a lot of us, you know what my desire can be when it comes to those people? It can be to shape their worldview like mine, to control them. And if they'll start to think this way like I want them to think, then I'll be okay. And what I find myself doing when it comes to this area of my life, I want to fix them, I want to control them, and I want to manipulate them. I want to fix them, control them, and manipulate them. Let me ask you a question. How much do you enjoy someone trying to fix you, control you, and manipulate you? It's not a lot of fun. It doesn't feel like your best interest is in mind when people try and manipulate you. But if that is our agenda, I'm not sure we're loving people the way Christ loved us. And then there's this super ugly word. It's this idea of prejudices. And and let's get this on the table. I think we all have prejudice. I'll be the first to admit, I'm sure that I do. And before, you know, you you start typing me an email or you build an excuse in your mind or your pushback, let's just talk through this together. I don't think many of our prejudices are intentional. I think many of them just come from how we were raised and who you know, taught us to live. And maybe it's from a dad or a grandfather. Maybe it was from an experience that we had when we were younger. Maybe it's what we read or what we watch on TV. But it causes something to, uh, for us to make a judgment about a group of people. And this is all prejudice is. It's making my mind up with not knowing all the facts. It's deciding I know what it's like. 
Even though I don't know all the facts, I've read something, I've saw something, I even experienced something. And because of that experience, I've made a judgment on all people in a certain group. And again, it could be a political group, it could be a race, it could be an ethnic group or a gender group. It could be, you know, an X, where your X is X. I've just decided without all the facts. And I surround myself, and you surround yourself with people that will affirm your viewpoint. It's just our nature. And then we watch media outlets that support our bias because we want to hang on to it. And if that's true, if that's what we do, and I know it's what I do, it means we never have to rethink where we're coming from or, or understand where other people are coming from. We just get to hang on to our prejudice and it just disrupts the road to peace with everyone that we need to have peace with. And again, there is a word that just blows into all these things. There is a word, there is a way of living that just destroys our prejudice and our pride and our ego. And the word is empathy. We talked about this last week. Empathy evolves our ego and proves our pride and discloses our desires and professes our prejudices. It just blows up our ego because it makes us realize, hey, Matt, you're not the most important person in the world. There's other people that matter besides you. And that sometimes is really tough for us to hang on to. And it proves our pride because it helps us understand that, listen, I can move towards you. And I don't have to give up what I believe or what I hang on to or what are important to me. But I can let down my pride a little bit and go in your direction. It discloses our desires. Listen, I don't have to control you. I don't have to fix you. I don't have to manipulate you. I can just simply love you. I have the freedom and the joy just just to love you. And I, I may think you're wrong, but I can love you in that. And prejudice, how can you be prejudiced when you start to see how other people view the world and where they came from and what happened to them in their experience without empathy? It's just really hard to understand anybody else. And maybe more important for you and I as Christians, without empathy, Jesus would have never been able to take on our sin. And if you're not a Christian, here's the invitation. He died for you. He put himself in your shoes so you could be forgiven and have eternal life. What I love about empathy is empathy is typically curious, not critical. Empathy is curious, not critical. This idea, and maybe you've never heard of this before, but we believe as Christians that we were made in the image of God. That every person that has breath and a heartbeat on this planet was made in the image of God. And we have this unique opportunity to understand other people that were made in God's image. We have this you know, opportunity to go to people that are different and go, you know what, I may not get you, I may not understand you, but you were made in God's image. It means you were special. You, you were like God's gift to this world. You were created artfully and beautifully, and I want to get to get to know you. And here's what I know. I know people that are like me. I said this last week. I'm a 50-year-old middle-class white male in Van Wert, Ohio. I really know people like me well. I do. But anytime I get to experience somebody that's not like me and get to understand them and how God is working in their life or could be working in their life, it is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. And one of the things that you, know, you discover when you get to know other people that are different than us, they get to know us. And I want people to know the real Matt, the real 50-year-old white guy from Van Wert, Ohio. I don't want preconceived ideas about me, and I want to open up my life to say, listen, I want to know you, but I also want you to know me. I think about this as a pastor 
Because there's a lot of preconceived ideas about pastors, and some people hate pastors because of experience they've had with them. And I, I want them to know, hey, don't judge me until you know me. And then maybe if you hate me, okay, I get it. But I want you to know the real me, not just something you read about pastors. It changes the perspective of everything. And my guess for you and my guess for me is we want to be known for who we really are. It brings us to our last question this morning. And it's a question we asked in a series, a couple series ago called Climate Change. And I think this question is so important because as I get to know you, I get to know myself. And this question has a lot to do with it. It's when you ask someone, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Do you remember that question? And I wanted to bring this question back because I think it fits in this series, but I also think that some of us didn't ask this question to the people in our lives. And I just wanted to bug you with it. Because I think we get a chance to hear what it's like to be on the other side of us and, you know, and our pride and our ego and our prejudice. In fact, if you want to know if you're prejudiced, ask your kids. Ask your wife. Ask a couple friends that don't agree with you all the time, and they'll tell you, and it may help you get a clear picture of yourself. Now, that's going to be scary, and that's going to be challenging, but I think it might be helpful. This is what I know about me, is I love to give grace to myself, and I like to be critical of other people. I love to give grace to Matt, and I love to give advice and righteousness to other people. It's just kind of how I'm wired. It's how most of us are wired. But when I start to lean into this question, it may not change anybody else in my world that I want it to change. But it has the power to change me. As I decide to live at peace with everyone, as far as it depends upon me, it changes me. And it might change other people. And it can change other people. But what if it just changes me and I have peace? And it exposes my ego and it exposes my pride and it exposes my prejudice and I can lay those down for a better life of love and a better person to be around. And not the person that always has to get on Facebook and tell everybody how bad everything is and be that guy. But I could actually change things. It's a beautiful thing. It takes us back to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, if it's possible, and often it is, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I, and I thought about this. This does not mean you need to run you know, into downtown anywhere immediately, although you can do that, and show everybody you're peacefully living your life. It doesn't mean you have to put something on social media, let everybody know, hey, I'm living this way. It doesn't mean you have to do anything, but maybe start to work on your own heart. Because we are told out of the, inf the flow of our hearts, everything changes. And if I find peace and love in here, I will start to have peace and love in the rest of my life. And listen, this whole thing that we're in of you know, trying to figure out how to walk in other people's shoes, there's no quick fix to that. We are not going to solve the th problems in our country. We're not going to solve the problems in our community. We're not going to solve the problems in our own homes overnight. But it starts when my heart changes. It starts when I love like Jesus. And I'm willing to reach across the aisle and love people that are not like me. I'd love to remind you of something that we read last week when it said from the Apostle Paul that we were all enemies of God. And no one likes to hear that. But Jesus came for his enemies. He came for people that were so sinful like me and for like you. He died for us so we would not be enemies of God anymore. And we could be connected to him for eternity. And as he did that for us, as he 
loved us. He looked us in the eye and said, now go love people like that. And I think this could change us from the inside out. We're going to wrap up this time this morning with this song that's called Bigger Than I Thought. And this was such an appropriate song for us to choose because I think sometimes we think God is in our same little box that we're in. And what if this morning we took an opportunity as we sang this song to say, God, I'm going to open up my viewpoint on you, on the world. Now, Jesus, you're still Jesus, and I'm hanging on to that with everything I've got. That's not changing. But I've decided I know everything about everything else in this world, and maybe I don't. And maybe, God, you're bigger than I realized. And you love in a way I didn't know you could love. And as we sing this song, I hope this works through your soul and your heart and your spirit. And maybe you could start walking in a faster, better, stronger way towards living at peace with everybody. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these challenging words of the Apostle Paul. And thank you that you brought peace to our world. And it's only through you, Jesus, that we can have peace. But Jesus, I pray we would be part of the movement of bringing peace to other people, of love and empathy and forgiveness. We lay down our pride and pick up humility and walk in your shoes as we serve people that are easy to serve and love people that are easy to love and do the same for people that are not so easy to serve and love. It's in Jesus' name I pray.